0: most of us, we're, we're pretty familiar with the Christmas story. I mean, uh, you may not know Jesus from a lizard, right? But you know, you know the Christmas story. And uh, it may surprise you to know the busiest creature Uh, That first Christmas wasn't Mary trying to give birth to a new baby. It wasn't Joseph, you know, running and fetching hot water. It wasn't the shepherds who were watching their sheep out on the hillside. It wasn't wise men bearing gifts. It was actually an angel named Gabriel. In fact, let me give you his travel itinerary during uh, the first Christmas season months before the birth of jesus gabriel appeared to an elderly couple a very elderly couple his name was zacharias he was a priest his wife's name was elizabeth and gabriel told them that elizabeth was going to get pregnant she was going to conceive and she was going to have a baby and zacharias his response was right have have you checked out the old lady lately i mean she's way past those years but sure enough Elizabeth conceives, and she gives birth to a baby. The baby's name was John the Baptist. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was sent to prepare the way. He went about sharing the message. Uh, There's a new sheriff going to be in town. Something's getting ready to happen. The Messiah is coming. So that was pretty cool. About six months later, uh, Gabriel was sent to Nazareth. Uh, to a Jewish teenage virgin, maybe 13, 14, no more than 15 years old. And Gabriel has the privilege of telling Mary that she is going to give birth to the Christ child. And as you can imagine, as hard as it was for Mary to hear that news and to comprehend, you can imagine how hard it was for Joseph to hear that news and comprehend it for Mary. I mean, you can imagine that conversation. Hey, Joseph, love you. Just want you to know I'm pregnant. Haven't had sex. It's from God, right? Right. And Joseph responded the way most guys would respond. You know, I'll put you away. I don't want to shame you, but there's no way I'm going to marry you. So Gabriel, he now has to pay a visit to Joseph and he shows up in the middle of the night and he says, Joseph, you need to understand the child that Mary is carrying is indeed from God and you're not to fight it, but you're to marry her and and he did. And just as Gabriel had told them, Mary and Joseph, nine months later in that little village of Bethlehem, the baby was born. Gabriel's still not finished because there's a group of shepherds out on a hillside and they play a key role in this whole thing. And he has to appear to them and say, glory, you know, this glory to God in the highest, a savior's born, go to Bethlehem. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So there, and then get this two years later after the wise men finally visit. See, a lot of us, because we just go with tradition, we, we have this idea that, that the wise men actually showed up at the stable. That's not true. Uh, They came from afar bearing precious gift. It took them about two years to find, not baby Jesus now, but toddler Jesus. And after the wise men left, Gabriel appeared to Joseph again and said, you need to know this, Joseph. Herod is on a search and destroy mission. He's worried about this new king. He's kind of getting weirded out over it. And so he's going to kill every baby under the age of two. You need to get married. You need to get that toddler and you need to get out of town or things could be disastrous. So Joseph packs up the family, they go to Egypt where they hide out. Finally, after Herod's death, Gabriel appears to Joseph again and tells him it's okay to go home. And they make their way with that baby back to Nazareth and it's there that the Bible tells us that Jesus grew in favor with God and man. So Gabriel was very, very busy. This weekend, I wanna concentrate on that fourth appearance, the one where he appeared to the angels. And in the encounter with the angels, there's one word that I want us to focus on. And this one word defines our relationship with God. And this is very, very important because see, our relationship with God is unlike any other relationship we have in our life. I mean, let's face it, all of our relationships on planet Earth are pretty much conditional. We know in every relationship, the more we put into the relationship, the more we're gonna get out of the relationship, the better we behave in the relationship, you know, the, the better we perform in the relationship. Uh, uh, the more expectations we meet in the uh, relationship, the more we're going to be loved, right? Maybe even get some better Christmas gifts. But the great message of Christmas is that that first Christmas, God decided to do something altogether new, altogether different, and, and it has to do with this one word. And when we get our arms around this one word, When this one word that we're going to look at this weekend, when it becomes the lens through which we view our relationship with God, you got to understand, it takes all of of the ought to's out of our relationship with God. All of the have to's out of our relationship with God. It takes all of the guilt out of our relationship with God. Wouldn't you like to have a guiltless relationship with God? The key is this word that we're going to look at. So let's revisit this familiar story. If you have your Bible, Luke chapter 2, we only really look at this story once a year. So let me just read it to you. It's a great time just to read the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Verse 4, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. By the way, that would have been an interesting conversation. Can you imagine Joseph going in and saying, hey, Mary, I know you're nine months pregnant, but we got to go to Bethlehem. Here's the good news. I'm not going to make you walk the 170 miles. I got you a donkey, right? I mean, so they set out on this journey, probably a 10 to 14 day journey, if you can imagine that being nine months pregnant, right? It says in verse five, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. It's a wonderful scene. I mean, think about it. Mary, for the first time, holds the bodily form of God, and she listens for the very first time to the cries of God, the grunts, the groans, and, and maybe Mary, only Mary, who's known about this the longest, maybe, maybe she's the only one who can appreciate it the most. But then you'll notice the scene changes, but the story continues because we get to verse 8, and it says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So they're just hanging out, probably not a very exciting job, you know, keeping animals away, but it probably happened, you know, rarely that they really had to get involved and protect the animals. So they're doing what they do every other night. Maybe they got a little fire. They're leaning back. They're looking at the stars. They're looking at the moons. They're thinking thoughts like, wow, I wonder if anybody's out there, you know, I feel so small, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, all these deep, all these deep thoughts, right? But then notice what happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And as you would expect, they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. All the people. Not just good people, not just holy people. Not just Baptist people, not just Catholic people, not just Jewish people. This is going to be good news for all the people today in the town of David, a Savior. There's our word. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. In other words, that first Christmas, when God looked down from heaven at humanity, when he looked down at the mess. We were in. He said, You know, they don't need a life coach like Tony Robbins. That's not what they need. They don't need a financial advisor like Dave Ramsey. That's not what they need. They don't need someone who thinks they're a savior like Oprah. You know, that's not what they need. You know, God said, They need a real savior. So God said to humanity that first Christmas, I'm going to send someone to bail you out of the mess you're in. And this is good news for everyone because I'm picking up the tab. In other words, it's free. And to be honest with you, therein lies a problem for a lot of us. Most of us, we're very, very suspicious of anything that's free. After all, I mean, what did our parents teach us? If it's too good to be true, what? It probably is. And we've all experienced that. You know, we've all gone to the mailbox or we've gotten a phone call that says, you've won a free cruise, right? are four free nights in Vegas, are three free nights in New York, but you begin to inquire and ask some questions and you find it's not free. There are actually strings attached. I mean, let's face it, free is never free. Plus, we don't like the idea of free because if someone gives us something, it kind of makes us feel like we're indebted to someone. And we don't want to be in a position where we feel like we owe somebody. I mean, we want to pay our own way, right? We want to stand on our own two feet. There's something in all of us. We want to make sure that we're doing our fair share. And if you don't believe me, just think back to the last time someone you went out to lunch or we went out to dinner with someone and they picked up the check. You know, what, what was your response? Oh, no, no, let me. Oh, no, let's split it. Oh, oh, let, I'll get it next time or at least let me get the tip. In other words, I can't be indebted to you, right? I can't owe you. I've got to do something. It's just kind of the way we're wired. It's part of our nature. In the same way, when it comes to our relationship with God, There's something in all of us that feels like we should be bringing along our part of the deal into this relationship. I mean, that's the way it works in every other relationship. So we're comfortable that that's how it should work in our relationship with God until we understand the Christmas story. Because that attitude, I've got to do something, I've got to bring something along, that's the total opposite of the Christmas story. Because this passage tells us that that first Christmas, God sent a Savior that is free to everyone. And if you can ever begin relating to and responding to Jesus as as Savior, I'm telling you, it will transform your perspective. It will absolutely transform your relationship with God. And right now, some of you are yawning inside. In fact, trust me, I can see you. Some of you are yawning outside. Uh, you, know, you know, like Savior. Oh, I mean, I get it, Savior. I have a plastic one. I put it out in my yard every Christmas. I know I, but See, you don't get it. And if, if you don't see your need for a Savior, then this idea of you need a Savior, it is just a big yawn. I mean, if you don't think you need a Savior, it is kind of boring. In fact, you hear the words, you need a Savior, sometimes it's a nuisance. Or maybe it's threatening, maybe even scary. And just so you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I I grew up, I told you, free will Baptist. (laughs) Biggest oxymoron ever. There is no free will in the Baptist church I grew up in. I'm just telling you right now, right? And it was called Liberty on top of that. I mean, it was really weird how I grew up. But I grew up with hellfire and brimstone. I am a follower of Jesus Christ because I was scared of going to hell. I'm not gonna lie to you, five years old, I heard a guy stand up at evangelist and he talked about hell. And I went home, I said, Mom, not that old, not that smart. No, I don't want to go there. And as a five-year-old, my mom helped me understand what it meant to have your sins forgiven so that you would be able to spend eternity in heaven with God. I became a follower of Jesus Christ at five years old, but I was basically scared into it. I grew up on a great diet of those kinds of messages. You know, I grew up on messages that were like, God sent us a savior. And if you reject the Savior, if you ignore the Savior, by the time you smell the smoke of hell's fire, it's too late, you know. <laughs> You'll be strapped into the fairest wheel of hell where the flames never go out. And they'll be weeping, and they'll be wailing, and they'll be gnashing of teeth, and the worm dies not, you know. <laughs> I gotta tell you. You know what got my attention? That worm (laughs) freaked me out, you know. And some of us laughed. Some of you were thinking, wow, we could use more preaching like that around here, you know. (laughs) Uh, By the way, let me tell you why I don't preach that way. I actually love living in a house with indoor plumbing, and Laura prefers something like that. Uh, But let me tell you why that kind of message is a dangerous message. I'll tell you why. Because that first Christmas, God didn't send us a scarer he sent us a savior but let's be honest for some of us for some of you your entire christian experience has been from the perspective that if you get into a relationship with god he's just going to interfere with your life he's just going to try to weasel his way in so he can take your joy steal all your fun mess with your stuff try to get your money you know so for you the idea of a savior that's not good news that's not great news That's threatening news, that's that's scary news. But let me tell you something. God's approach to saving us, go, go back to our series, Love Different. God's approach to saving us isn't to try to convince us or something, or manipulate us, or control us, or scare us, or threaten us. You know what his approach is like? His approach is more like I'm gonna stand here on the sidelines until you get to the point where you realize I need help. His approach is more like the father in the son of the prodigal. Remember the prodigal son came in and says, I want to sow my wild oats. He didn't say that, but that's what he had in mind. Give me my share of the inheritance. The father didn't try to convince him, manipulate him, control him. He gave it to him, let him go on his way. But let me ask you something. What brought the son home? Was it the father's scare tactics? Was it the threats? No, it was when he was in the pig pen and he realized, my dad's a pretty cool dude. And, and my dad has servants who are living, but I'll go home to my father. What brought the father or the son home to the father? It was the kindness. It was the love of the father. And for some of you, that's why you are in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You somehow experienced his love, his compassion. Or maybe, maybe it's when we're on our deathbed. Maybe that's the crisis point. We realize, wait a second, all this stuff that I've clung to all of my life, education, philosophies, humanism, all of a sudden you realize it's not working. I'm going to take my last breath and I'm going to move on to whatever is next. And I don't have a clue what it is. And now I'm scared. I need a savior maybe it's then i heard the coolest story on thanksgiving my brother-in-law uh, don Payne, who is also the principal over grace he moved here from california a few years ago to take that over and uh, it was so cool to have have him move here but don has been a christian most of his life and he has constantly shared witnessed, shared his story with his mom his mom has never been interested in having a relationship with god through jesus christ never ever Unfortunately, recently she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and now she probably is within days of dying. And so Don was sharing with me, we were together on Thanksgiving. He says, tomorrow I'm gonna go down and see my mom, make funeral arrangements. It'll probably be uh, the last time I get to see her. She's in Georgia. And he said, let me tell you what's cool. He says, a few days ago, when she realized this is it, she said, I don't wanna go to hell. I'm scared of that. And Don's younger brother, had the opportunity to lead her through the gospel into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let me just ask you something. What do you think Jesus' reaction was? Oh, sure, <laughs> now you're interested, you know? <laughs> Lived your way your whole life, and now you get in free. No, I get, you know what his reaction was? Finally. I've been right here all along. Let's do this, right? Let me just tell you something. Jesus Christ is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. He's got way too much respect for you to do that. After all, he gave you the freedom to choose. In fact, it's interesting the book of Romans, Paul's writing this letter and he's writing to some people who are thinking, well, God's not really bothering us. He's not harassing us. He's not threatening us. Maybe he's not even interested in us. So this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. What does that mean? It means that as long as you're running from God, as long as you see no need for a savior, let me tell you what God's response will be to you. Kindness, tolerance, and patience. Because it's not scare tactics, it's not threats that lead to repentance. It's God's kindness, Paul says, that leads you to repentance. By the way, what is repentance? 180. You're going one way, you change your mind about something, you go the opposite way. So when you repent, you're changing your mind about God. You're changing your mind about who Jesus is. Yeah, maybe up to this point you thought he was a good man, maybe a prophet, maybe a good teacher, but now you're saying, no, 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 I changed my mind. He's a savior. He is who he says he is. He was God in the flesh, and he came and he died on the cross, and he shed his blood so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could be reconciled back to God. It's that kind of kindness and tolerance that leads us to repentance. That's what acceptance means. And God's strategy for bringing us to the place where we say, I need saving. I need delivering. I need rescuing. I can't do this anymore on my own. God's strategy to get us to that point is kindness and tolerance and patience. But here's the deal. If you want nothing to do with God, God will take no for an answer. And and maybe you don't hear this in other churches, but I'll tell you, God will pretty much let you live your life any way you want to live your life. He will not interfere. But the moment you come to the realization, my life is a mess, my marriage is a mess, my kids are a mess, my family is a mess, my finances are a mess, whatever the wake-up call is, When you come to that point and you realize that you have nothing to trade, you have nothing to barter with, you know there's no way you can earn it, the moment you realize, I don't need another chance, I need saving. I'm telling you, the Savior at that moment, who is Christ the Lord, we just read about that, the Savior will intersect with your life. See, you have to get to the point on your own, I need a Savior. Now, I, I don't wanna be, maybe you're visiting or new, and I don't wanna be rude, but I, I, it may sound rude, but I'll just tell you, I'll go ahead and tell you, you need, you need a savior. Every time you look in the mirror, you're looking at someone who needs saving. And if you don't believe me, I'll show you. Now, let's just be honest, it's Christmas, and we're at church. What a better time to be honest, okay? How many of you have something in your life you would like to be saved from? Maybe, maybe you can't stop biting your nails. Maybe it's a drug or an alcohol issue. Maybe you can't stop cheerleading no matter how hard you try, right? <laughs> but there's just something you can't be safe. Be, just raise your hand. I'll be the first one. There's something in my life. Yeah, all of us, look at, all of us have something we want to, be, and we're frustrated because we want to get rid of whatever that habit is and we just can't seem to get rid of. it. In fact, if I told you this weekend God has given me a special power and I'm going to go out and stand outside in the baptistry on this beautiful morning as cold as it is, and everybody that would walk into that water and just touch me, that habit was going to be broken and you were going to be free. People would be lined up around the building. Heck, I'd be touching myself. I'd be in the badminton because, I, you know, I, I got stuff I need to get rid of, right? All of us have stuff that we need to be saved from. Some of you have anger issues. You've been to anger management. You've been to counseling. You've read books. You count to 10. Here's the deal. You can't save yourself from your anger issues. How in the world are you going to save yourself for eternity? See, you need a savior now. Maybe it is an alcohol issue or a drug issue. Maybe it's a money issue. Maybe it's a morality issue. We got a few minutes. This is actually a shorter message than usual. You guys take a couple minutes. Save yourself. Go ahead. I'll wait. He said, "Well, Mike, I can't. I've been trying for years." See, that's that's exactly my point. You can't save yourself. And it's because you need a savior. Not just for eternity, you need a savior now. And God is patient and he's tolerant. And the moment you realize, wow, I really do need a savior, he says, I'm right here. I love this quote by Rick Warren. He says this, you don't need a savior because you might die today. You need a savior because you have to live tomorrow. I mean, think about that. Some of you here, probably many of you here this weekend, you're divorced and you did everything you could to save your marriage, but you couldn't save your marriage. You said, well, Mike, that's not fair. You know, it takes two. It was out of my control. That's right. It does take two. It was out of your control. That's my point. You couldn't save it. Some of you can't save your kids. They've kind of gone off on the wild side. They're, they're doing the prodigal thing. And so you've prayed and you've begged and you've bartered with God. You've done everything to save your children, but they've gone on their merry little way. You can't save your children. What would ever make, make you think you don't need a savior for eternity? Maybe there's a relationship you're trying to save, and you have tried, and you've adjusted, maybe even lowered your expectations. You can't save the relationship. I mean, we can't even save ourselves from the mundane day-to-day issues of life. How can we possibly live our lives and not think that we need a Savior for eternity? And if you're new to church, let me tell you, this is where Christianity is so liberating. The relationship between the saved and the saver, or the rescued and the rescuer, isn't like any other relationship. This is, this is so powerful. And there's been some great movies where you've seen this. Les Mis, that's, that's one. And I started to show a clip from the new Les Mis movie, but I thought the minute they start singing, I'm just going to start laughing. That, that won't have the impact I want, right? But there's this great scene in Save It Private Ryan. It's my favorite movie. If you can watch Saving Private Ryan and not cry, you're a socialist. I'm going to tell you right now, you're a socialist, or worse. <laughs> but it's a story of, of, of a young man and, and who he, with three of his brothers who are involved in the Normandy invasion, D-Day. And they find out that three of the four brothers are killed. And, and, when the, and when the powers that be back in the United States realize there's only one son left, they're like, we gotta get that boy home. There's no way we can have a mom lose all four of her boys. And so Tom Hanks, they put together this special group to, to get him out and they get him out, but in the process they all give their lives for it to happen. And I gotta tell you, that's the way it always is in a relationship between the saved and the one who did the saving. And it's because when somebody shows up in your life and saves you from something, maybe your marriage is a disaster. Maybe you went through that period of time, but there was somebody, maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a friend who would not let that marriage blow up, who would, let not, would not let that marriage unravel. And they got involved and they prayed with you and they mentored you and maybe they mediated for you and they loved on you and they got you through that crisis time. They saved you. Or maybe Maybe financially, all of a sudden, you got turned upside down and you were getting ready to lose everything and there was someone that came along and says, I'm not going to let this happen to you. I'm not going to let you go down. And maybe they even gave you money. Maybe they loaned you money. Maybe they paid off bills. Maybe they gave you some counseling so you could reorganize your financial world and they saved you financially, right? Whenever something like that happens, automatically two responses. One, there is unfiltered emotion. What you feel is what you feel. And then second there is unsolicited devotion. I mean, you'd follow that person anywhere. You would do anything for them. You're like, here are all my phone numbers, here's my email, call me anytime 24 seven and I will be there. See, that's a lot different than I, I guess I should or I ought to. And if you think a relationship with God is about being good, maybe obeying the 10 commandments, then you've missed the message of Christmas. So you, you you've never come to terms with the reality that there is a savior who wants to save you. And when that gets from here to here, when somehow that gets from your head to your heart, it alters your approach to everything God wants from you. It alters your approach to everything God expects from you because now it's in the context, of course I would. How could I say no? He's my savior. But this is what I want you to understand. Throughout your journey with Christ, he never stops being a savior. One day he'll be king, not yet, he's a savior. One day he'll be a judge, not yet, he's a savior. And he just wants us to come to him with the attitude that says, of course I'll follow you, of course I'll obey you, of course I'll ask you, I'll do what you ask me to do. You saved me. That's a lot different than I ought to or I need to. I mean, seriously, where's the great joy in that kind of relationship? A, a few years ago, I, I, I went through, without a doubt, the darkest time of my life. The church was gro- growing, everything seemed to be going well, and. One of our elders, a good friend of mine, we had served together for years. This is a man that I had once used as an illustration in a staff meeting. And I said, he's the godliest guy I know. He's the most like Jesus of anyone you will ever meet on this earth. One weekend, right after he had left his 25 years of IBM and Lenovo, he he came to work with us here at the church. And about three weeks after coming to work with us, One Saturday morning, he got up, he wrote out his tithe check to Hope Community Church to go in the next day. He took a gun, he walked out in his driveway, and he took his life. I'll never, ever, ever forget where I was when I got that call. And it just, it just sent me into that tailspin. Like, I don't get it. What did I miss? How could this happen? How could I not see this? What was going on? Did I do something? About three weeks later, while I was still reeling from that, one of my best friends on staff who had been with me for seven years, I actually considered him my pastor. I mean, when I needed to talk to someone, I went in and put my feet up on his desk, and that's who I unloaded on. That's who gave me counsel. He walked in, and he said, God's called me somewhere else. And my heart just broke like And so as he left my office, I said, just, would you shut the door? And I literally just wept in my office. I thought, all this work, and it's just coming apart at the seams. It's unraveling. And then I went through the knee replacements and the infection, and um, that, I think, really played a lot with my mind and psyche and I was not in a good place. I was angry. I was depressed. I don't know what I was. I know I was snapping at a lot of people. I had issues. I don't have issues anymore, but I had issues then, right? <laughs> and I can remember like it was yesterday when Lars said, Honey, you've got to talk to somebody. And I called Bill Buck. He, he's been a counselor, a Christian counselor that I've been referring people to for years. And you know, there's not many people that a pastor can talk to because I've learned it'll come back and get you. And so I called him, and I went to his office over Office 6-4, and I sat down. And I think the first half hour, I just wept. And he prayed, and he counseled, and he listened. He gave me his cell phone number, and he would email me, and he'd call me at the office, and we would talk. And over several months, he just—and I'll tell you what he did. Um, he saved me. I'm telling you. I was not in a good place. And I'll tell you this, if Bill ever calls me and asks for anything, what do you think my response would be? Oh, man, wow, Bill, I'm important. I got this huge church. Let me think about it. I'll get back to you in a week or two. No. The answer will be, of course, you know. Of course. If that's what you need, of course. Sure. And it's not because I have to, it's not because I ought to, it's it's not because of some kind of commitment or he keeps reminding me, remember what I did? No, it's not that kind of thing. It's not payback. It's because he, at that time in my life, saved me, rescued me, and I will be forever grateful. You See, that's what happens when you've been saved. And see, it brings great joy. And this is what a lot of people sitting around you this weekend have learned. They've learned that anything you lay at the feet of the Savior, he will save. He's not just a Savior for eternity, he's a Savior right now in this life. I've seen couples who had, their marriages were the biggest disasters but they laid them at the feet of Jesus, and, and he saved their marriages. I've seen people whose finances were horrendous. they've laid their finances at the feet of Jesus, and he saved them. I've seen people struggling with alcohol issues and drug issues and morality issues, and they've laid them at the feet of Jesus, and He saved them. My point is that whatever you're willing to let go of and lay at the feet of your Savior, he will save. But here's the deal: He won't rip it out of your hands. He'll wait until you're ready to say, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Take it. And, and he takes it because he's your Savior. If someone does that, I mean, there's unfiltered emotion. There's unsolicited devotion. You know, maybe you're new to church and you don't get the whole worship thing. And maybe you'll be here, you're just kind of staring at the screens. I mean, you don't understand the words. It may, may as well be a foreign language, right? And then there's some lady beside you just bawling. You're like, what is up with her, right? I can tell you what's going on. Maybe there's a song we're singing, and there's some words in that song or a phrase in that song. It reminds her of when she was saved. David said he took us out of the pit. He redeemed our lives from the pit. There's one song, his love never fails. It never runs out on me. He never gives up. I cannot, because I know me, I know my frailty. I cannot sing that song without tears coming to my eyes. Thank you. Thank you that you never, ever give up on me. So that's not because, oh, the Ten Commandments elicited this. No. It's because He saved me and I will be forever grateful. That's the message of Christmas. God sent a Savior to this earth for you and for me. He's present with us. He is Christ the Lord. Now I've never done this in 20 years of pastoring hope, but I'm gonna do something different today. If there's an area of your life where you need saving, maybe it is you need a save your. You have never been reconciled back to God. Maybe that's, but maybe you've already made that decision, but there's an area in your life where you're just honest, I need to say, I need to be saved. I need saving still, even though I'm in this relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you just to be bold enough. I'll raise my hand. To just raise your hand and say, I, I need saving. Now, come on, be bold. You know, if you're drowning, you don't say, Hey, somebody help me. You know, I'm, this is so embarrassing. Maybe I should just drown. No. You, know, you say, Hey, you know. So let's do it How many of you would be honest enough? Just one more time. I need saving. You have a Savior. He's Christ the Lord. Would you bow with me? I want to talk to you for just a second for all of those of you who raised your hand and be honest, the rest of you are lying. So we'll do a series on that. But <laughs> we all do. Whether we need a Savior for salvation or we need a Savior in our day to day issues of life, we all need saving. But I wanna to talk to you just a second if you, if you haven't discovered your savior for eternity. I know you love Christmas, a lot of people come this time of year, but I'm telling you, God didn't send his baby, a little baby to the surface so we could buy trees and gifts and light up our houses and go to parades. He sent us a savior knowing that Jesus knew every step of 33 years he walked across Palestine. He was one step closer to the cross. One reason, to shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven And then he came back to life three days later to conquer death and the grave and empower us to be the people, to live the life so that he could continue to be a savior for us. If you've never made that decision, don't miss Christmas again. Don't miss it again. And for the rest of you who just, man, you've made the decision to follow Jesus, but you continue to need a savior. I just want to tell you, what you lay down at his feet, he will save you. But he won't take it from you. Father, I thank you for that incredible gift, that incredible good news that comes with great joy because we've been given a savior. You know our hearts. You know our needs. I pray that you would work in our lives and do only what you can do. In your name we pray, amen.